talk forwards and backwards. Welcome to Plot Strops, your source for sports news and opinions in the 614 area code and beyond. All opinions are 100% correct and indisputable. And now for our hosts, Eric and Dave. Hey, everybody, and welcome into our Klotz Rops College Football Playoff Picks. We have the four playoff teams of this week. I'm Eric. Along with me is Dave as well. Number one, Alabama, and number four, Washington, I'd like to break down for you. Alabama comes in at 13-0, and winning the SEC title versus number 17, Florida. Alabama's one of two undefeated programs. Their notable wins are against number 21, Tennessee, 49-10 on the road, against number 20, LSU, 10 to nothing on the road, and against number 14, Auburn, 30-12 to at home. They're facing a Washington team that comes in at 12-1 and after just winning the Pac-12 title against number 10, Colorado. Their single loss came to number 9, USC, 26-13 to at home. It's notable wins for Washington. They beat number 18, Stanford, 44-6 to at home, number 19, Utah, 31-24 on the road, and beat their rival, Washington State, 45-7 also on the road. Dave, this is an easy one for me, man. I'm taking Alabama here right off the bat. I don't want to beat around the bush. Alabama's fantastic, and they have been for years now. They come in with a 25-game win streak. They're defending national champions. Their last four postseason games, their turnover advantage is 7-1. to They've got 14 non-offensive touchdowns in 2016. The number one ranked defense giving up 11.8 points per game and just 63 yards on the ground, which is absolutely unbelievable. I don't think they're going to be stopped strictly based on defense. Jonathan Allen is a top five prospect. Reuben Foster is a top five prospect. Both run stuffers and pass rushers. Exactly what you want out of your front seven. And it's not just them. It doesn't end there. They've got great corners. They've got guys that can rush off the edge. They've got defensive tackles that can push the line and that win the line of scrimmage battles week in and week out. On offense, they wear you down running the football at 5.7 yards per rush, and they beat you by passing the ball with their timely conversions on third down and their big plays over the top just when you load the box. The key to Alabama winning this game is create turnovers, score on defense, score on punt returns, score on kickoffs, and most importantly, in my opinion, is their ability to play special teams. And it starts with their kicker, J.K. Scott. Although he's a little bit baby-faced and slightly reminds me of James from James and the Giant Peach, he's one of the, <laughs> he's one of the best punters in all of football, and he has been since he entered there. And he is a huge advantage for them. His ability to pin the ball inside not only the 20-yard line, but inside the 5-yard line is just unmatched. And the field position in games like this is absolutely huge. When you have a great defense that doesn't give up very many yards and rarely gives up touchdowns, field position is massive. Obviously, Washington, they come in with a very balanced attack led by head coach Chris Peterson at his third season there. They've got a great quarterback in Jake Browning, 42 touchdowns and seven picks. I get it. He's their leader. They've got the great running backs, the two-headed monster there. But like I said, Bama gives up 63 yards per game on the ground, and I don't think anybody's going to be able to run the football against them, not to mention their corners like to press. And if you're going to have a corner that's pressing and they're going to push you guys off the line of scrimmage, you've got to get the ball out quick. It's almost impossible to get the ball out quick when you have pass rushers that are in your face in two to three seconds, 
And that's exactly what Alabama's done all season. It's exactly what they're going to do to Washington. Everyone in America is going to pick Alabama, and they absolutely should, and that includes you. Are you done with the Alabama bandwagoning? Because you, along with everyone else and every big news media outlet, wants us to believe that Washington has absolutely no chance in this game. So right now, Washington's at 15 and a half, underdog to Alabama. Am I right with that? Yep. But that's definitely not a number alone that we should let sway our opinion on who's actually going to walk out of Atlanta with a win. Here's some numbers to take into consideration, you know, before we jump to any conclusions. And, Eric, I'm 100% serious here. I'm not doing this for the sake of argument. I'm not doing this because of Big Ten bias. All the big media outlets want us to believe that Washington has no chance. And they don't. (laughs) First and foremost, Alabama ran through the worst SEC collectively we've seen in 10 years, hands down, no argument, no Big Ten bias. You can't tell me any different, so please try to. It's that nothing ran through Alabama. It doesn't matter what conference they're in at that point. They are head and shoulders above every team that they've played, and not only does the score show it week in and week out, but the box score shows it week in and week out. They're holding some teams to 50 yards rushing, 30 yards rushing. I think I saw a stat that one team rush for over 100 yards against Alabama. That's insane. That's going to scare most people, but Chris Peterson is no stranger to being thrown on the back burner and handed the second-place trophy before the game even starts. And to me, that appears that's what you and what everybody else is doing at this point. In 2007, Chris Peterson leads Boise State to a 12-0 season, a berth in the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma. Oklahoma's coming in with two losses to a good Oregon and Texas team, and they're favored by 7.5 over Boise. The spread is irrelevant to the way that Chris Peterson and Boise State were treated like second-class citizens. They had no chance to beat a good, not even great Oklahoma team. How was Boise State going to stop Adrian Peterson and score enough to stay in the game? Not only did they score enough to stay in the game, they throw this thing into overtime. Chris Peterson draws up a Statue of Liberty play on the two-point conversion following their tying score in overtime. And Boise State runs out of there with a victory. And Boise State's running back proposed to his girlfriend after the game. All right, that part he, had to do it in his, he had to do it in his jersey because I don't even think they printed Fiesta Bowl victory shirts for <laughs> Boise State the week prior to that. Because like this game, no one expected them to win. However, this week, no one's proposing to anybody. The only ring that's going to be there is going to be the Alabama championship ring. So what about Ohio State when they were a 12-point dog after the 2002 season and they shocked the college football world when they took down the cane? And along with Chris Peterson not being a stranger to this situation, Alabama's no stranger to laying an egg in this. You know, Alabama has a history of not getting the job done in bowl games when they're clear favorites. And it's not even like it didn't happen recently. 2013, Bama was favored to win the BCS national title against Oklahoma to the tune of like 17 and a half points, and Oklahoma beat Alabama by two touchdowns. 2008, Utah were nine and a half point dogs to Alabama, and Utah beat them in the Sugar Bowl. And you, among you know anyone else that's probably going to be listening to this podcast, is going to remember Ohio State beating an Alabama team that was favored over them by nine points to win the very first college football playoff. With their third-string quarterback. Exactly. And, you know, there's a bit of a history lesson on why I believe it can be done, but none of that really points to why Washington is going to do it. And Jake Browning is the reason why Washington can do it. He's completing 63% of his throws for a total of like 42 touchdowns with only seven interceptions. The kid's going to give you six touchdown passes before he gives one to the defense, and that in itself is amazing. 
he had eight games this year where he didn't throw any interceptions and only two that he threw more than one pick in the game. He's got three games this season where he threw at least five touchdown passes. Browning had three games this season in which he threw at least five touchdowns, and the other three quarterbacks in the playoff combined have three. And this guy's special. Don't lose him in the red zone trying to cover all these receivers that he's got at his disposal because he's got five rushing touchdowns on the season to go with all those numbers. As far as receivers go, I know me and you have talked about it leading up to the college football playoff. We've talked about it this week. Why don't you tell me uh, about these receivers? Because I want to hear what your take on the receiving game is for Washington. My biggest question is John Ross. Obviously, he is their best wide receiver with 76 receptions, 1,100 yards, and 17 touchdowns. That's insane. I get it. My biggest concern is that Bama's going to take him away. You put one defensive back over the top, and one corner right on him, and you punch him at the line, you stay physical, that pass rush is going to get there so much faster than what Washington is used to. They're used to playing the Pac-12 teams that sit back in their zone, and they let you throw the ball underneath, and that's what Jake Browning has done, and that's what he is great at doing. The problem is, he's not going to be able to do that. He's not going to have the time, because his guys aren't going to come out of their breaks fast enough. Not to mention John Ross, he can fly. But it doesn't matter if your quarterback is getting pressured in the first three, four seconds. As soon as the ball snapped, you got a guy in your face. It doesn't matter how fast he can run because he's going to have to throw the ball before your head can turn around. I don't think they've got a quarterback that's going to be able to win this game for him. You've got a Heisman caliber quarterback that you're discounting in Browning. You've got a receiving talent like Ross. So Alabama's scheme, obviously, here should be to sit back, rush their four, sit back with your with your secondary, and let Browning throw into some mistakes. But that's not possible because Chris Peterson's thrown out two running backs that have a combined 2,175 yards with 17 touchdowns on the season. Miles Gaskin alone has 1,300 yards. And if that's not enough, you're throwing out their 5'11", 228-pound LeVon Coleman. The guy's averaging around eight yards per carry on the season. We can go all day trying to figure out what Alabama's going to do against Washington to stop their pass game, what they're going to do to stop their receivers, what they're going to do to stop their running backs. You're asking a lot here, and we're giving Alabama the SEC bias pass by just saying, you know what, they'll figure it out, Nick Saban will figure it out. They've done it 25 straight times. And, you know, I just I don't know that that's enough here. I think Washington has more than a puncher's chance. They have more of a chance than what you and everyone else are giving them. That just amazes me. You just told me 25 games is how many Alabama has won and that you're not that we give them the benefit of the doubt. Well, that's the reason we give them the benefit of the doubt. You win 25 consecutive games, including a national title. You deserve the benefit of the doubt. The fact that you're taking Washington is gutsy. I'll give you that. But at the same time, in my opinion, and based on statistics, it's stupid. Exactly. And we all know that I'm not stupid, which is the reason I'm taking Washington, but only to cover the spread. It's 15 and a half. Eric, it's a lot in a game of this magnitude. Jalen Hurts is still a freshman. He's a seasoned freshman at this point in the season. And Jake Browning should have been in New York for the Heisman presentation, in my opinion. I think you're with me on that. Absolutely. Washington's offense will keep them close, but Alabama's defensive line will take over in the second half. They'll bring Browning back to earth, literally. Um, He's going to be picking himself off the turf a lot in the second half. You brought up rush lanes, and I love a disciplined rushing attack from the defensive front four. 
when you can get your ends that are going straight up the field, but they're keeping contain of the ends, and then you got your tackles pushing to the quarterback's face so that he can't step up and deliver those short intermediate passes that we know Jake Browning loves to throw. It spells disaster for Washington, but I think, like I said, their offense will keep them close. I've got Bama over the Huskies, 41 to 35, but like I said, in a game of this magnitude, 15 and a half is too much, so Bama over the Huskies. Well, like I said, I, I like your guts. Um, I, I do agree with you. Bama's going to pull it out, obviously. I have no confidence in Washington scoring 35 points. I'm with you on Bama. I'm calling them at 42 points for Bama. Washington, 17. I don't think they get it done. And that's a lot of points for them against this stout Alabama defense. But either way, it'll be a good game, and I'm excited about it. Up next, we have the second game of the college football playoff. Number two, Clemson against number three, Ohio State. Clemson comes in at 12-1, and winning the ACC title against number 22, Virginia Tech. Their single loss comes to a number 23-ranked Pittsburgh team at home, 43-42. Notable wins, number 14, Auburn, 19-13 on the road. They beat number 13, Louisville, in a high-scoring affair, 42-36 at home. And then they beat number 11, Florida State, 37-34 on the road. Ohio State comes in at 11-1, losing the Big Ten tiebreaker to Penn State. Ohio State's single loss came to Penn State, ranked number 5, 24 to 21 on the road. We all remember that blocked field goal return for a touchdown. Notable wins for the Buckeyes against number seven, Oklahoma, 45-24 on the road. In overtime against number eight, ranked Wisconsin on the road, 30 to 23. And then obviously their last game against the Michigan Wolverines, who are ranked number six, 30 to 27, also in overtime at home. Now, Dave, I'm a little biased when it comes to this game, but I'm also going to pick realistically. Um, I'd like to know who you're interested in first. Coming as a Michigan fan, you're a Big Ten guy. I'm assuming you got to go Buckeyes here, right? We're three years into this playoff system, the, the way that we're now crowning our national champion. Dare I use the term playoff pedigree when I explain these two teams? Because these two teams, they have the experience in the playoff that you're looking for. Here we have the winner of the first ever college football playoff versus the loser of said game just a year ago. And you're right. I'm a Big Ten guy. I like Ohio State. I like Clemson for much different reasons. We got two quarterbacks who were preseason locks, in my opinion, to attend the Heisman Trophy presentation, let alone win it. But neither made it after what many considered an underwhelming season for both. I say many consider because I'm in the minority here, I guess. I I would take a QB as efficient as JT Barrett any day. The guy completes 61% of his passes. He throws only one interception for every five touchdowns. And he runs for another nine touchdowns on the season. So I don't really see where people see the drop-off here. It may not be what he did last year, but he's in the playoff. They lost one game. Like you said, it's a block touchdown on the road at Penn State. It's a tough place to play. Deshaun Watson, on the other hand, everybody's discounting this guy for his 15 interceptions. I'm not going to make excuses for those 15 interceptions. From what I've seen on the interceptions, there's been a lot of tipped balls. And the reason I'm not making that excuse for him is because Ohio State's going to tip a lot of balls. The kid's thrown for 37 touchdowns. He's ran for another five. He has seven games of three or more passing touchdowns. One of those games was a one-point loss to Pitt, but the other two were huge wins against Louisville and the conference championship game against Virginia Tech. 
I'm not going to discount either of these guys because people say they've had a subpar season to what we expected of them before the season. Is there something I'm, I'm missing here, Eric? Is there, is there a reason we should be, you know, taking these two guys for granted? What am I missing? Well, I don't think there's a reason necessarily. What I think, as far as JT Barrett's concerned, um, you had mentioned that a lot of Ohio State fans in particular, they don't see him in that upper tier, upper echelon of quarterbacks. And the reason for that is because they've seen what he can do. And what he's doing now is not what they believe, what we believe JT Barrett can really do. Obviously, a big part of that is not just himself, but it's also his offensive line, a little bit of play calling. But in my opinion, JT Barrett, there's three things he needs to do in order to make sure the Buckeyes win this game. One, no turnovers. He has five interceptions on the season. His defense has 25 takeaways. Let them help you win the game. Seven of those 25 takeaways resulted in touchdowns. That's a really high percentage and a big number for the Buckeyes. It's important that they find a way to score not just on offense because their offense can get a little slow throughout games. Number two, he's got to get the ball out quick. He's been sacked 25 times this season. This team lives and dies with the offensive line. When they're playing well, the team is rolling. When they're not, you can tell that that's the reason. And a big part of that loss to Penn State is because of that offensive line. They were fine in the first half. Ohio State had a big lead going into halftime. They come back out in the second half. I think it was five times JT Barrett got sacked in that game. And that's a pretty high percentage when there's only 25 sacks in the entire season. And number three is limit the amount of rushes that Barrett has. He's got 194 carries this season. He's got some very, very good playmakers on the outside and in the backfield. Let those players make plays for you. There's no sense in being as important as he is in getting hit 20 times a game, sometimes 30 times a game. It does not make sense. Get the ball out as fast as you can and get it in your playmakers' hands and let them make plays. On the other side, Deshaun Watson. You bring up a very good point. He's got great numbers. He's got those picks like you had mentioned. But he's poised, he's a proven winner, and this season he's really put this team on his back. My biggest concern with Watson, two-thirds of Deshaun Watson's touchdowns this season have come in the first half of games, which means one of two things. Either he gets tired and or his teammates get tired, or number two, teams start to figure him out. And that's the biggest concern to me, is that they start to figure out Deshaun Watson and that entire offense And that's the reason that I think the Buckeyes are going to pull this one out, is that the Buckeyes have proven that they can close out games. Someone else for Clemson is going to have to step up because Deshaun Watson cannot continue to put this team on his back, especially when other teams start to figure out exactly what they're doing at halftime and start to make adjustments. I agree with you a lot there, and I disagree with you on a few things. First and foremost, Deshaun Watson throwing most of his touchdown passes in the first, you said something like 66% of his touchdown passes in the first half. You know, you said you kind of had a bias coming into this game, and I kind of want to tilt the scales towards that on this one because a lot of teams don't have the luxury of a coach that's going to have his starting quarterback throwing touchdown passes to the H-back in the fourth quarter of a game that they're up 40 to nothing. That's not going to happen on a lot of other fields other than an Urban Meyer coach offense. That's not me saying that as you know, a rival fan. That's just something that I see in games. I see a lot of teams get up big. They start coasting. The kids are on the sidelines dabbing. And with Ohio State, You said it best. It comes down to adjustments at halftime. 
regardless of what Deshaun Watson does by half, he's going to struggle in the second half against Ohio State, and it's because he's going up against arguably one of the best coaches in college football. Forget the Big Ten, forget the ACC, the SEC. Urban Meyer is top two in college football today. And I don't think anybody would argue with me about that unless we were on some SEC forum, you know. And my worry about Ohio State, though, is their ability for the wide receivers to get open. You said it best. You said JT Barrett is holding on to the ball for a long time. I've said it from day one. I've said it from, you know, the second game against Tulsa. Everyone wants to blame Ohio State's offensive line for the amount of hits and sacks that JT's been taking. But if you literally break down all 24 or 25 times he's picked himself up off the turf, a theme will definitely emerge, and it'll be astounding to you. He's standing there assuming somebody's going to get open like they have the past two years, and it's just not happening this year. And that was exposed more during the Michigan game than any other this year. You brought up how many sacks was it in the Penn State game? You said five? Yeah. It was eight in the Michigan game. Yeah. Wow. Can Ohio State's line get better at not holding or jumping earlier and getting the false starts penalties? Yes, they can, and it appears that they have since Ohio State was really – they were only penalized twice for seven yards in the last game. And the only time anyone wants to talk about the big guys up front is when they want to blame them for something. we got to put some of this blame on JT holding the ball and his wide receivers not getting open for him. Yeah, I do agree with the wide receiver issue. When Devin Smith left, Ohio State really lost their field stretcher. And that guy that can just fly down the sideline and really open up the field, take that safety with him, and get those intermediate routes, the crossing routes, the posts, that were really kind of their bread and butter for the past few years. And until they get that guy that can really open up the field... That's what you're going to see. You're going to see a lot of guys that are fighting to get open. And JT Barrett's a smart quarterback. He's not a guy that's going to throw the ball into double coverage. He's not going to be a guy that throws the ball up and just has one of his his playmakers go up and get the ball. He wants to do what's right. He wants to do the smart thing. That's what he's known for, which is why he only has five interceptions on the season. But at some point, if they're going to put the ball in his hands and expect him to go out and make plays, he's going to have to take some chances. You know, and both of these quarterbacks are dynamic, but neither of these quarterbacks have to be dynamic. Like you said, let your playmakers do something for you. JT Barrett could literally hand the ball to Mike Weber every time, and the guy's going to get six yards. Yeah. Ohio State's rushing attack is anchored by Mike Weber, who's just under 1,100 yards with six yards per carry. He's had minimal carries to what I think we expected after the way he started the season, and I think that has a lot to do with the amount of carries that JT took over the season. Mm -hmm. Not to mention JT taking some of the carries. You've got Curtis Samuel at H-back, who is literally the definition of what you want for that position. Since the H-back position was introduced in college football, we've struggled to come up with a designation for anybody on how they can fill the position. And Curtis Samuel's in a league of his own, and that's why I'm putting him in the money back category. The kid's special. On December 31st, regardless of what game's on your TV, Curtis Samuel's the best player playing football that day. All four teams, hands down, I'm taking him. What's your thoughts on Curtis Samuel? Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, Percy Harvin is probably the only person I can even think of to compare Curtis Samuel to. He's averaging 9.7 yards per touch and 15 total touchdowns. Just to put that in perspective, he accounts for 31% of the team's receiving yards. He accounts for 23% of the team's rushing yards and 27% of the team's total yards. 
Not to mention his 15 touchdowns account for 25% of his team's total offensive touchdowns. Meaning if you take Curtis Samuel out of this offense, you're immediately taking away 25 points per game. That's an astounding number. That is a major impact. How the Buckeyes don't give him the ball 20 times a game in any capacity is beyond me. If they want to win, especially these two big games that they have coming up, hopefully two games they have coming up, they absolutely have to give him the ball as much as possible. I love Mike Weber. He's a fantastic freshman. He's a great fill-in for Zeke Elliott. It's hard to find somebody that's going to be as good as him, but Mike Weber is doing as good a job as anybody. But he doesn't have that dynamic, explosive game that Curtis Samuel has. And, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Mike Weber is the man, but Curtis Samuel is the most important player to any team in all of college football. And that is due to his ability to run the football, to catch the football, and to make people miss in space. And in my opinion, if the Buckeyes are going to go anywhere, it's going to be on his back. I agree with you 100%. And you're echoing pretty much what I saw all season from Ohio State fans, whether it be on social media, um, calling into you know, sports shows that I'm listening to on the radio. All of them are wondering where Curtis Samuel's carries are. But the issue is, we've talked about it, we're beating a dead horse. Ohio State has all kinds of playmakers in the backfield. They've got JT Barrett, Mike Weber. They've got Curtis Samuel. Don Trey Wilson. It has to – exactly. It has to be the worst luxury that Urban Meyer has had thus far in his career to have those type of guys that each and every one of them could take over a game and be the reason that Ohio State wins and trying to figure out where each one fits in the puzzle – you got to get one guy going, in my opinion, and I'm with you. I think it's Curtis Samuel. From here on out, the Clemson game, if they get past Clemson and they go to the national title game, I think at that point, Curtis Samuel, you got to ride him. And it's great that Mike Weber has taken some of the carries throughout the season because, to me, Curtis Samuel looks fresh. I heard people all year talking about, let him return punts, let him return kicks. And I think a lot of that came from the success that they saw Jabril Peppers have returning punts. He didn't score a lot of touchdowns, but he returned the ball and put Michigan in really good position to score the football and pretty much every time he touched the ball on a return. Let's not be rude and compare these Buckeyes to Michigan players because the reason that Ohio State fans are wanting him to return punts is due to Dontre Wilson's inability to field punts. The Buckeye Nation has lost faith in him fielding punts, and I think that's a big reason why they're pushing Curtis Samuel. Obviously, he's electric in space, and, and that's a big part of it as well but it's more so due to the fact that Dontre Wilson scares the crap out of everybody when he's back there. I can get behind that. When you see the guy dropping the ball, you know, Ohio State played in a lot of bad weather this year. That's no excuse. You, right. You're fielding punts 100 times in practice. I get it. That's no excuse. But I'm still sticking behind my guns, man. Monkey see, monkey do. If you see a guy having success returning punts at running back, at Wildcat quarterback on defense, you're going to want the player on your team that you most likely see in comparison to that person doing those same things. I get it. You guys are having trouble with your your punt returners, but I'm, I'm still sticking behind the Jabril Peppers comparison. I know you don't like that, but I'm sorry. Clemson on offense is also sporting a 1,000-yard rusher in Wayne Gallman. He averages five yards a carry. And he scored 15 touchdowns, all of the rushing variety. At receiver, I'm expecting Jordan Leggett to be the go-to guy this year. And then all of a sudden, Mike Williams becomes one of the best wide receivers in the country. Think you agree there? He's amazing. He's big, he's physical, and he can go get the ball. That's the part that's just amazing to me is that if you need a big play, Deshaun Watson can just chuck the ball up and Mike Williams is going to go get it. He's going to be one of the guys that we watch play on Sunday and that we're going to be really impressed with his first year in. 
That's the most important matchup, in my opinion, is Mike Williams against Marshawn Lattimore, the defensive back for Ohio State. Mike Williams is one of the, if not the top wide receiver in all of the country, and Marshawn Lattimore is doing a great job filling in for Eli Apple, who got drafted last year, went to the New York Jets, and was on the bench the majority of last year, stepped up as a starter, and has done a magnificent job. The question is, can he stop Mike Williams in a massive playoff game? If he can, I think that's going to prevent Clemson from being able to really stretch the field and from being able to get those intermediate passes that they like to throw with their big physical receivers. So if we're comparing offenses here, I think we definitely are going to give Clemson the edge in the passing game. Yeah. Nobody's going to argue that. Both teams have a running back with just over a 1,000 yards. Advantage Clemson when it comes to right now on offense because, like we said, I still don't think Ohio State's using Curtis Samuel in all the facets that he could be on the offense. But I'm not ready to give Clemson the edge. Not really. Not yet. Ohio State literally has 11 ball hawks on the defense, and all of them are constantly flying around looking for the ball. They're diving on fumbles. They're tipping passes. They're they're at the line. You know, when the defensive lineman is batting this ball and the DB is just sitting back there and the ball is ever so gingerly falling into his arms, the guy's already looking at lanes, and Ohio State's returned how many interceptions for touchdowns this year? Seven. Exactly. And they're, they've all been gift wrapped. Either the quarterback putting it right in the numbers or the defensive linemen batting the ball. Defensive linemen are going to get to Deshaun Watson in this game. They're going to pressure him into some bad throws. We've seen it. He's got 15 interceptions. I'm not making excuses for him. A lot of those are because he was pressured into bad throws. If Watson had issues against Louisville secondary, Pittsburgh secondary, Troy secondary, and the most alarming to me was North Carolina State's defense. Mm-hmm. I'd be silly. You'd be silly. America would be silly to believe that he's going to do any better against the poisonous nuts defense. Let's be real. I mean, does he have a chance against a secondary, a front seven of Ohio State? Uh, I, well, I can't say he doesn't have a chance because as soon as I do, that's when he's going to prove us all wrong, which is kind of what he's been doing all season. Um, but you're absolutely right. It comes down to defense. The fifth-ranked Ohio State defense against the ninth-ranked Clemson defense, that's ultimately what it boils down to. And I'm going to look at it from the other side, just playing devil's advocate. 46 sacks, third most in the NCAA for Clemson, caused 24 turnovers. Those are big, big numbers to me. An Ohio State team that doesn't turn the ball over a lot, but they're, they don't always make the big play when they need to. And sometimes it's play calling. Oftentimes they like to run the ball three consecutive times, and they like to run the ball in third and ten, and it just doesn't make sense to a lot of us fans. But you're absolutely right. I'm taking the Buckeyes here. It's hard for me to take Clemson. They were there last year. They got their shot. Now, they could come back and say, you know, we didn't win it. We got so close. They've got the experience. However, I think a young Buckeye team is driven. They're passionate. They hear what people are saying about them, especially that offensive line. And I think that they're going to use that to their advantage, and they're going to come out firing on all cylinders. I like the Buckeyes in a high-scoring game for a defensive battle, 31-28. to I think Ohio State's coming out of that Michigan game, and they're kind of, you know, they're knowing that they're not going to go out and outclass anyone right now. Like you said, they're young, they're gritty. They're actually going to have to make the game dirty and work it out from there. They're going to have to make it dirty in the first half. They're going to have to see where they're at at halftime. And Clemson's going to get to JT early, like you stated. They they do come into the game with a lot of sacks. Their defensive line is underrated. But the X factor is going to be Urban Meyer and his ability to make halftime adjustments, in my opinion. He'll put his playmakers in position to break out. We saw that in their regular season finale, and it's, it's going to be on display here again against Clemson. Just for 
the sake, you know, I don't want Ohio State fans to lynch me up on this one because I mentioned Jabril Peppers in a stat breakdown on an Ohio State game. I live in the Columbus area. I 100% can respect this fan base on how passionate they are about their football. I love it. I'm a passionate guy. I'm a competitive guy. I've got the Buckeyes over the Fighting Dabos 31-17. to I'm a little more confident in Ohio State than you were, which is surprising. But I, I just think the X factor here is Urban Meyer, and I think he gets Curtis Samuel going in this one. This is a typical Michigan fan trying to put a jinx on the Ohio State Buckeyes, and I am not having it. <laughs> I'm not okay with it. And you're ruining college football by being a Michigan fan. Go Bucks. <laughs> There you have it, folks. Dave and I both taking the Buckeyes to face off against the Alabama Crimson Tide in the national championship. These two games start on New Year's Eve. Until next time, thanks for listening.